Good morning. You know, um, a couple things I want to remind you of as we, uh, before we jump in today. Uh, this Wednesday at 6 o'clock, we're starting a prayer time uh, that we'd love for you to come and check it out. It, it's a kind of a walkthrough experience. Um, um, that you could add to your calendar. If you have a Bible study starting at 6.30, you could kind of jump into that at 6 and, and probably be finished in time. Definitely be finished in time if you you could time that out. But um, I'd love for you to come. And, uh, you know, we really are passionate about learning to pray, and the best way to learn to pray is to start praying. So we want to invite you to come to that. If you don't have a Bible study on Wednesday night, that would be an addition to your schedule that you'll be glad you added. So I just wanted to let you know that. Also, on September 24th, we're getting back to a pre-COVID habit that we've had as a church, which is kind of focusing on a fall give day towards our next steps. You know, we're, for those of you that maybe don't know, we, we, we feel like living debt-free is the best way to live as a church. And uh, so with that, that comes discipline and learning to give in advance uh, for projects. And so uh, we're tackling a project. Hopefully by the end of the year, we're prayerful about that. And so I'd love for you to just be prayerful about um, coming on September 24th, ready to just kind of jumpstart that. Uh, we, we've got about $50,000, $60,000 or so uh, towards it. But man, we'd love to for September 24th to be an important day for that. Also, Next Sunday is the Lord's Supper. And so I want you to be aware of that uh, and, be, and come ready for that act of worship. Um, like Amber said, if you have a child that has come to Christ, that's a good moment to bring them in that celebration of the Lord's Supper. Um, it's an important act of worship next week because the Lord's Supper is a calling we have and we're to worship the Lord in that way until Jesus returns. And it reminds us of this series that we're in. We're in a series called The Return of the King. And as a follower of Christ, we, have, um, we are called to, to both consider the second coming of Christ, and then we're also called to expect it. And this is a calling we have as followers of Jesus. And, and, and I think that's Im important to recognize the, the gift we have as people that believe the Bible and believe that this is the Word of God. Because, because we know that to be true, God has given us the gift of His revelation that prepares us for the second, His second coming. And, and so there's a lot of people that think about the end of the world. We've been given kind of what's some details about it. And that's why it's important for us to consider what the Bible says, for us to expect Christ to come, because that enables us to live with the right sense of urgency and the awareness of God's plan. Now, um, here's what we know from the Bible, that according to his own promise, Jesus' own promise, that Jesus will return to this earth physically, visibly, in all his glory. Now, now, um, we don't have a frame of reference for the glory of God, in all honesty. Those things come out of our mouths, but we really don't have the ability to grasp the magnitude of the glory of God. Um, but he's going to come in his glory, and he's going to visibly appear to the earth. 
And we know about, because of the revelation of God, we know that the, the, some really important things about that, that, that he's going to come, and, and, and in that moment, Christians will stand before him. And like, uh, and we'll we'll receive the, the the rebuke or the rewards from the Lord. We we just read about the crowns. The Bible speaks of these crowns that we'll will be giving to the Lord. We don't fully grasp those either. We just know that they're to be our pursuit, and we're going to be glad that we have them uh, if we have them. But Christians will also receive some. We'll, we'll receive rebukes, but but then we'll be ushered into heaven for eternity. We also know from what the Bible says, and we can't soften this. I can't soften this. When Christ returns, those that are lost will be judged and will be consigned to hell, separated from God for eternity. I know it's, we live in a day that's like, oh, that sounds so harsh. It's, it's the revelation of God. I, I can't soften that, that truth. But it's a truth. And sometimes truth is it's narrow. I mean, I guess every time truth is narrow. It's narrow. Truth is truth. And the Bible reveals this. Now, here's the, here's the end for every one of us. Either we will be the generation that sees the return of Christ. Um, you're going to think I'm so smart. You're going to be like, wow, my pastor is smart. Uh, we're closer today than we've ever been. That's good, isn't it? That's good. Um, but, but we don't know the hour or the day. Now, it, it seems like when you read our Bible, we're in the season. It's, 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 it's the things that are prophesied in Scripture seem possible in our modern day. But I don't know if we will be chosen to be the generation that sees the return of Christ. Maybe. We should expect it. One of the things I think about, what if we're raising up a generation that will stand in the last days? Or whether it's, what, what if it's our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren that are learning from our faith to stand for the Lord in these important times? There'll be a generation that will see the return of Christ. I don't know if that's us. It's possible. But, but let me tell you something. There's another possible end like the Bible says, all of our days were written in a book before one of them came to be. It, we, we may be following the rest of history where one at a time we are called to that moment where as a Christian he calls us home uh, or as a non-believer they die in their sins. Now, we've been in Revelation this week and, and I want us to... I hope that you're a part of our Bible reading because I'll tell you, engaging the Bible like we've, we've done this year as a church has been so very incredible. And I hope that you've joined us. And, and we, we're, we're in this section of the scriptures that really points to the coming of Christ. Now, Revelation 4 is where we are. We've already read the text, so we won't stand together and read it today. But before we jump into it, I want us to just consider Revelation for just a moment. And if you have notes, I would love for you to take notes today because I'm going to fly a little bit today um, through some notes. And, um, but let, let me just, let's just stop for a second and consider Revelation, the book of Revelation. Um, we, we need to pay attention to three genres or categories 
in the book of Revelation. There's three categories that you see in the book. And I think it's important for us as we read it over the next coming weeks and finish through the, through the book of Revelation that, that we consider those categories or those genres, if you will. The first category or genre is Revelation is an epistle. And by epistle, meanings it, it's a letter written to instruct churches. Paul wrote a lot of epistles, so the, the letter to the Ephesian church, the letter to the Colossian church. And, and part of Revelation is an epistle because it's written to churches. And there's a lot of question about those churches. Are, do they represent a certain time in history? Personally, I believe that the churches that we just read about, you can find every one of those churches at this time in the history of the world. So all of those warnings, I think, are relevant because I think every church has a temptation to fall into each one of those warnings that you saw to the churches. So you need to understand that Revelation is an epistle. Revelation is also prophetic. It's prophetic. And, and this, this is important to understand. By prophetic, it makes, direct, makes reference to direct future events, but it also calls people to repentance. And this is what a prophet does. A prophet, and you, you, there's been a lot of prophets through, the, through history that have said, hey, repent, turn to the Lord. And you see John fulfilling this calling. He, it's, there's a prophetic element to the book of Revelation going, hey, look, turn to the Lord. You should turn to the Lord. Repent. And that's an important call for all of us. And some of you in the room today, some of you watching online today, that may be where you are. You need to repent. Turn to the Lord. There's so much grace in that confrontation. God did not leave you in this. He confronts us. And I'm so thankful because that confrontation changed my life. And it'll change yours. It's prophetic. It's also apocalyptic literature. This is a genre of the, of the book of Revelation. And, and so it describes future events, not just that are in the future, but that are surrounding the end of world history. But it's described in symbolic ways or creative ways. Now, I think that's, that's important to understand as you look at the book of Revelation. Now, John is the, is the writer of Revelation, and and, uh, and so open your Bibles to, to um, chapter 4. And, and as I mentioned last week, John was young when he started following Jesus. He, was, he and his brother were known as the sons of thunder. And um, I like that about them. I think they were pretty chippy, and, and John was young and, and uh, probably a little bit of a scrapper. We know from Acts 4 that he was, he was not um, known but for his education, he was probably a country boy. He probably had an accent and probably didn't have great grammar, you know. Um, my mom always corrected my grammar. It drove me crazy, but I'm grateful for a mom that did that. Maybe his mama didn't correct his grammar. I don't know. But, uh, but his mom was pretty tough. Maybe she was the thunder that they were known of because she's the one that went to Jesus and said, hey, um, let my sons be at your right and left hand. Remember, that was John's mama. Uh, and, um, and so John was, we know from Acts 4.13 that he and Peter were unschooled ordinary men, but, they, but everybody took note of them that they had been with Jesus. And it's interesting as you look at John because his writing is simple. If you're a beginning Greek student, you'll study 1 John because the grammar's simple, the writing is simple. But you know what? It's also very profound. And his theology is incredible. 
So it kind of reminds me a little bit about that guy, of that guy that's famous around here in our parts, that's, that's well known for his simplicity, but also his wit and his knowledge. Will Rogers, right? He's from our neighborhood, if you will, out of Claremore, right? He's outside of Claremore. John's theology was deep and important. And, and you know, uh, I, I think it's interesting that John was a disciple that never left Jesus. I think it's very fascinating that he was the one that he never left, and he was entrusted to take care of Jesus' mama. Remember, Jesus said that from the cross. And then God blessed him with a, a tough life, longer life, but he was given the revelation. Fascinating. Now, have you heard the phrase, uh, don't miss the forest for the trees? Right? Sometimes we get so, like, in the trees that we miss the forest. You know what my prayer today is that we see the forest. In verse 1, in John's revelation of heaven, you see the forest. Look at verse 1. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. Let's not miss the fact that what John is looking at, what God does for him in this moment, is he opens a door of heaven. I know it's easy to get in the weeds about what are the sevens, look, what about the number seven, what about the crowns, what about these animals that he saw? And, and, and sometimes we get into the weeds of that, and we miss that this is a moment in Scripture where God opens the door and says, I want you to see heaven. Heaven's a place. Heaven is a, the place we are, we are headed to as a follower of Christ. It is a place that the lost will be separated from and will never get to experience. And in this moment, John experiences heaven. And my prayer today that we get, get to experience that for the time we have together. Let's look at, let's keep reading in Revelation 4. He says, at the first voice, I saw heaven, at the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet. Notice, notice the word, he's, he's, he's describing things. These are like this and like that. He, he, a voice I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian. And around the throne was a, was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. And can you imagine John seeing this going, okay, uh, these are things that appear this way, and there's one, two, three, four, he's counting, and he's looking, and from the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, not just thunder, but peals of thunder. 
And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And, and before the throne, there was, a, there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature is like a lion. It wasn't a lion. It was like a lion. Um, the second living creature like an ox. The third living creature with the face of a man. And the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, look at this, they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever, of course, I mean, I think that's interesting. He's like, yeah, that guy seated on the throne, that's, he lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who, are, who is seated on the throne and worship him, again, who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. Now let's recognize this. This is John trying to piece together and describe something he's never seen before. Nor does he have a frame of reference for this. God opens the window of heaven and lets him see into something and, and imagine trying to describe something that you've never seen before and you don't have a frame of reference for. And you're sitting there going, okay, uh, I'm trying to write this down. And, and, and it's like these things. And, and, and what he's doing, he's describing the most beautiful and the most powerful thing he's ever seen in all of his life. And what he's clear is that God, you are there. And there are things he's trying to piece together and, and figure out. What I want us to do is recognize the forest today. And the first point is this, that heaven is a face-to-face -face experience with the Lord God Almighty. Folks, that's a face-to-face -face moment. Exodus 33 talks about they, they experience the holiness of God. And that's what heaven is. The holiness of God will be experienced. In Exodus 33, Moses said, God, I want to see your glory. God says, you can't. So God hid him in a rock and passed by. You know, Isaiah 6, he, he gets a glimpse of the, of the holiness of God. And, and this is another place where, where God opens the window of heaven in, in his holiness and his glory. In Isaiah 6, he, Isaiah just very clearly says, Woe is me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. 
And he describes in the setting in Isaiah 6 that there's a throne and these, these angelic creatures are flying around and they're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. You see Isaiah describing something more powerful than he'd ever experienced in all of his life. And you know, the word holiness comes off our lips. We sang about it. But let me tell you something, there'll be a day that we experience it, and holiness will be captivating. It will be awe-inspiring. It will be terrifying. It will be magnificent. It will be a moment in your life and mine where the only response is to fall on our knees and say, you are worthy. Nobody will stand before God and go, yeah, but I deserve something. Nobody in Scripture has ever entered the throne of God and said, hey, but I'm pretty good. None of that will take place. The only response that anybody has had when the, when the throne of God is revealed is a response of falling down and worshiping and out of our bodies, out of our natural response will become an utterance that says, you are worthy, you are God, and I am not. And you know, the response you see in Scripture is the oneness of God will naturally draw all creation to worship. That's why you see in these moments in Scripture when heaven is opened up, thunder happens and there's smoke and, and the rocks are crying out. And, and, and there's this, this moment where no one, even creation, recognizes they're not worthy to be in the presence of God. And that's, that'll be the response of everybody, even Ronald Reagan's son, who in my life, as I've heard from him, and he's been public going, I don't believe in God, bring it on, bring hell on. I'll gladly go to hell. I'll gladly, uh, I'll never worship God. But even him, even those that are so rebellious against God, their only response will be to fall down and worship In that moment, you and I will understand the depth of our sin. It's easy to look at others and go, their sin's bad, mine's not that bad. But in that moment, when we see God, Isaiah 64, 6 will make a lot of sense where it says, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf and like the wind, our, our sins sweep us away. In that moment, we will be amazed at the mercy of God. The grace of God will be overwhelming. The justice of God will be understood. And John writes this and puts on paper one of the most powerful experiences of his life. And, and, and he's like, this is the most powerful, the most beautiful thing I've ever seen all at the same time. And, you know, think about it. It's the natural response of every human being. Philippians 2, 9 through 10 says, Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name of, that is above every name, so at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And I, I got to say this. For the believer, heaven is going to be better than you think. 
it's going to be better than you can imagine. And as you bow on your knees and experience the grace of God, it's going to be better than you can imagine. And what John is doing right here is trying to put to pen the most incredible thing he's ever seen. But I think it's also important to recognize that heaven is not automatic. That 1 Peter 2.10 says, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. John 3.16 comes to my mind, for, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible very clearly points to the fact there will be some who will perish and not receive everlasting life. And, and look, if you're here today and that's where you are, I just have to say to you, come to Jesus today, see him. Revelation 4 is one of those places that God opens the door of heaven and lets us look in. And it's easy when we read the scriptures to get so look, looking at the minutiae of the tree that we miss the forest. And this is an amazing forest. And what I want us to do is in the next few minutes that we have to process what the Bible speaks about when the window of heaven, the door of heaven is opened because John sees it. And you know, when the Bible opens the window of heaven, you see something very interesting. Another thing you see, and you can write this down, heaven is tangibly spiritual and physical at the same time. This is fascinating when you look at the biblical revelation of heaven. It, uh, the, the, the hev heaven is a place. And this is something I want you to recognize. It's a, it's a place. It's, it's spiritual, but yes, yet it is tangible at the same time. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I mean, is one of those places. John 14, Jesus says, I'm going to prepare, I'm going to prepare a place for you. 2 Corinthians 5, that whole passage is so very cool because it says this in verse 1, for we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, not a house made with hands, eternal in the heavens. 2 Corinthians 5 goes on to talk about this dwelling place, the permanency of heaven, the, the permanency of our dwelling places in heaven. And, and, you know, it's interesting, the comparison, because God uses Paul to open the door and help us see that this world, our lives are like a tent. You stayed in a tent, right? When I was dating Robin, we were, we, I went on a family camping trip with their family and went to Arbuckle Mountains and we stayed at the lake and, and we're sleeping one night in a tent. We're going to bed and all of a sudden one of those good old storms start rolling in, like a big one. And uh, they needed to go get a hotel room, but they didn't want to take the boyfriend because uh, they were just going to get one room. And so they said to, to, to me, hey, Chris, we're going to go get this hotel room. We're going to leave you here with our stuff. Cool. And, and, and then we're going to leave Nathan with you, or Robin's little brother, Nathan Purifoy. He's in our chairs. We're going to leave Nathan with you. He was 10 at the time, right? And so I was like, well, 
I'm pretty sure they don't like me, but obviously they don't like Nathan either because they're leaving both of us here. And so, so we're in this tent, and, um, and I'm tr- scared to death. You know, I'm, I'm like, this storm's coming in, and it's a, it's a big one. And, uh, and the tent's like shaking and, and uh, filling up with water. And I'm like, Nathan, this is all right, man. We're good, Lord. Here we come. And uh, we survived, and Nathan and I bonded, and that was awesome. But, but let's recognize what the Bible says. This world is like a tent. Heaven is a building. A building in a storm is different. Look, heaven is tangibly spiritual and physical at the same time. In heaven, also, I think this is really fascinating. Heaven will be an eternity of interesting learning. I think in heaven, you're going to learn. We're going to learn. It's obvious from Revelation 4 that, that John is, is, he knows he's not God. He knows who God is. Because, and everybody knows who God is. Everybody is bowing, worshiping the Lord. So let's, you've heard things from your, from culture and from maybe a song or two that's not from the Bible that you're just going to know everything. Every, you, I think heaven is going to be an eternity of learning. You're not, you're not going to be omniscient the second you go to heaven because guess who's omniscient? God is. And you ain't God. And you're never going to be God. Aren't you grateful that you know that? There are people that actually think there's, there's entire Mormonism teaches you're going to be a God. Folks, that's not right. It's unbiblical. And we have lovely Mormon people in our community. They're just not following this. But let's recognize who God is. In heaven, you're going to learn about things on the earth. You, you, we, can, we can wrestle through this, but I think you see it in a passage that we read this week. Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11, when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God. And for the witnesses they had borne, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on, on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were given a white robe and told to rest a little while until the number of their fellow servants and brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. You know what I think you're going to see in heaven? A learning about things on the earth. Uh, these these, these uh, martyrs, they were learning about things that were going on in the earth. They were learning about God's will and God's plan. And this is why I think John ends this Revelation 4.11 like, your will is done all the time. I think in heaven we're going to learn about things on the earth. There's definitely, the Bible says, he will wipe away every tear. I think it's a false idea to recognize that there's no lament in heaven. These, these guys are lamenting, but they're also aware of the justice of God. Let's, let's let the Bible direct our thoughts about heaven, not popular culture or some song that we don't ever fact check with the Word of God. But I do think heaven will be an eternity of interesting learning. 
You know what else I think we're going to do? Learn in heaven? I think we're going to be able to trace the story of God through history. I think you're going to be able to, to, to trace the thread of the gospel all through history in your life, in the lives of people. And when you think about the gospel thread, man, that's, that's some of the most meaningful learning. You know what we read today in our Bible reading today? Oh, I hope you read it today. If you haven't, go back and read our Bible reading today. We read Psalm 111 today. In Psalm 111, verse 2, it says, Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. You know what? I believe heaven will be an opportunity for us to trace the gospel thread. Think how cool it would be to trace the gospel that came to you all the way back to Peter. Because you know how we're going to look at this next week in in, uh, Ezekiel 33 about the spread of the gospel, how it's meant to go life to life to life to life. Do you know, I got a glimpse of that a little bit a couple years ago. My, um, you may not know this, but Robin, my wife, when we were dating, uh, I started dating her and then she was in, she won Miss National Teenager. It was awesome to be dating the girl that won Miss National Teenager. She broke up with me right after that, but still, that's another story. But, um, But I went to Florida when she was in that pageant. We were dating, and I was a youth minister at a little church in western Oklahoma, and, and um, so I'm hanging out at the pool one day at this Florida resort where this pageant was, and all these pageant people were there. Well, this little kid was there. He's like a teenage kid, um, younger kid, eighth grade or so, and I got to talking to him about Jesus by the pool. I shared the gospel with him, and he's like, I don't know about all that stuff, man. I don't know. I ended up giving him my Bible, had my name on it, and I gave him my Bible. I said, man, I, put, I wrote the plan of salvation in there, and I, I said, man, I put my, I don't think, no, it was before cell phones, so I didn't have a cell phone back then. I was in, pagers weren't even out then. You guys even know what a pager is? Cool. Um, but, so I just gave him my Bible. Well, I hadn't thought about him for years. Uh, Eric and Stephanie, was that at Canacook, that family camp that you met that guy? It was some camp that Nathan, who led worship today, is now my son-in-law. Their family was at a Canacook camp when Emily and Nathan were dating. And uh, they mentioned, yeah, my my son is dating a girl named Emily Wall. Her dad's a pastor. He's like, Tulsa? He goes, that guy shared the gospel with me. And he goes, I still have that Bible. And now cell phones are invented. And I got a picture of that Bible that I'd given to that kid. Years later, he's at a family camp or something. I was like, oh my goodness, how amazing to trace that gospel thread. You know what I think heaven will be? Well, every prayer you prayed, you'll be able to trace. Every time you witness to somebody and they say, I forget you, 
but then later God used it. You know, yesterday I went to a 90-year-old birthday party for my uncle. My mom was there, and we were asking about who shaped them. And you know, my, my grandfather was a first-generation Christian in his family. Or my grandmother was, my grandmother, Hattie Wall. She got all, she got all the land from the land run because her brothers, were, they got killed. Bar fight and suicide. They were lost. My grandmother and my grandfather, first-generation Christians. Some of you are first-generation Christians, and you're going to change the trajectory of your family. How cool would it be to learn in heaven? Heaven's going to be interesting learning. Last thing, and I'll try to think about this. Do you realize that heaven is the priority for God? and for us. This is so very important, I think, to understand. When God opens the window of heaven, the door to heaven for us, and lets us look in, do you know what we see? Heaven is the priority. I think it's interesting that right after the letters to the churches, John says, okay, now I see heaven. God says, John, I want you to see heaven. I think sometimes we get so wrapped up in this world that we think this world is the priority. When you really look at the Bible, and you let the Bible to shape, shape the way you think, you recognize that heaven is the priority for God. You, you, you know this verse, Psalm 116, verse 15, it says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. You know, we, we live in a culture that's like, let's try to avoid death as long as we can. And the uber-rich are trying to develop coffins that will keep their body alive so whatever they died from, will they'll get to come back to life. That ain't going to work. And if you have a lot of money and you're asked to do that, don't buy that. That's dumb. Rick, sell as many as you can, I guess, because Rick, Rick Cusio was asked to build one of those things, by a, which is a whole other sermon I want to preach. But, but look, heaven is a priority for God for you. Precious in the sight of the Lord is, your, is the death of his saints. Do you know what else? I, I think when you really look at Scripture, um, heaven is the priority for us, too. We, we, now, we're to run our race well, right? I get that. But let's consider another passage of Scripture in Acts chapter 7. Stephen. You know Stephen, right? He was a deacon. Wasn't even a preacher. Wasn't an elder. He was a deacon in a church. But yet he preached a sermon that was outstanding. And he was brought on trial. He was the very first martyr uh, in the church. And, and as Stephen it says in Acts 7, 55, but he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So right here in this moment, 
Stephen looks up and there's, there's, the heavens are opened up. And Jesus is standing. And you know what I think Jesus is doing? Come on, man. Good job, Stephen. And then the Bible says, but they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. You know, we, we think, oh, man, the victory is when we're healed from something. The victory is when, oh, we were spared from something. Right here, Jesus is standing, giving Stephen a, a standing ovation as he welcomes him into heaven. You don't think God, God was, think about this, God was a personal witness, a physical witness to the death of Stephen. You don't think he could have stopped that? We know who God is. One word from him, stop. Everybody stops. God owns the rocks. God was a personal witness to the death of Stephen. Folks, let's recognize that what God was doing right there is welcoming Stephen home. So when we get all the anxious about the coming of Christ, the second coming of Christ, when we get all fearful about the future and what's going to take place, folks, let's recognize that heaven is the priority for God. It's the priority for us, too. Heaven is our destination, folks. This world is not our home. Now, do we run well? Yes. Do we run with endurance? Yes. But let me tell you something. We must have our eye on our destination. Heaven is our destination. And you need to recognize that your life is precious to God. Your race is precious to God. And that's why it's just as powerful that God took Stephen early. John knew Stephen. But in God's plan, he took Stephen early. But yet, it was God's plan for John to, to be in this prison and follow the, and run this race. We looked at this at the end of the Gospel of John when he said to Peter, look, you run your race, Peter. John's going to run his. Let's recognize your race is precious to God, but don't miss this. Death is the last act of obedience for every follower of Christ. Death is not something you should fear. Death is an act of obedience. And whether we see the return of Christ and we get to physically and visibly see him return, or whether he calls us home at a predetermined time that according to Psalm 139 was written in a book before one of your days came to be. Let's recognize that the day you draw your last breath, that's an act of obedience. That's your last act of earthly obedience to the Lord. I don't want you to be mistaken. The king is coming, folks. 
the king will return to this earth. And, and you know, that's why today's the day of salvation. That's why I don't want you to have to, uh, I don't want you to wonder. Do you know the Bible was written so that you can know that you have eternal life? You don't have to wonder. Look, we are sinners in need of a Savior. Follow, like, salvation is not automatic. We weren't born Christians. We were born in sin. And God moves us to this moment of repentance that, and offers this real life, this real relationship with him that has peace and strength and power and hope and, and joy. Oh, my goodness, we, we get to run a race that God marks out for us. And, and my prayer is that you, you recognize that there comes a moment that all of us are to respond to him. Have you? Have you come to know Christ? I, I so appreciate my wife. You know what she said to me as she left the service today? And it wasn't about, this is not about my message. This is about the message from John. And she goes, I don't see how anybody could hear that message today and not come to Jesus. Me either. I don't know how anybody could, could come to the realization that you're dead in your sin and Jesus loves you and he, and he died for you and he rose from the grave to give you life. I don't know why you'd turn that away. So can I just say to you, can I just plead with you, come to Jesus today. And, and some of you, you know Christ as your Savior, but you're fearful. Come sit and look at who our King is. Because I don't know, when every time I get close and draw near to Jesus, my fear and doubts just go, he, he, he helps me with those. I keep coming back to him in all honesty. I keep... I tend to run to my doubts and sometimes let them rule over me. But we don't have to. We're going to have an invitation and Nathan's going to come and lead us. And we have, a, we have some people that would pray with you. We have men and women that are going to be around the room. In fact, I want you to go there right now. If you would like, if you're on our prayer team, would you just go and be available to pray with somebody? And they're going to be all around the room. And there's some at the back, right here at the front. And, and you know, there's some that, are, uh, that we need to pray for today. There's some in our church. There are many, actually, several in our church that are very clearly facing the reality of mortality. I'll tell you, God's faithful. Heaven is real. So maybe you need to come and pray for somebody. Maybe you need to come and get right with the Lord. Maybe you need to have somebody pray over you. Let's just have a real moment with the Lord where we just respond to his voice and minister to one another. It's okay. It's good if you say to somebody that you know, your family, or would you pray with me? 
or ask one of these folks to pray with you. Let's just allow the Holy Spirit to move us. You know, the reason we do online stuff, if you're online, is we want to know you. We'll come see you. We'll come see you at your house. Let's allow the Lord to move you today. Would you? Would you stand where you are? Lord Jesus, we give you this time. And I just pray that we would throw away all fears and doubts and, and have a real moment with you today. I pray that your spirit would speak in this place and draw hearts and minds and lives and open eyes, open hearts. God, would you... Lord, there's got to be someone here today that's not peaceful. Would you give them the strength to lean into that? I know there are believers here today that have been doubting you, and I pray that those would be given to you today, those doubts, those fears. Lord, I thank you for opening the door of heaven and letting us peek in today. We love you, and we need you, and we pray you would move us right now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.